Good morning. Oh, come on. First service did better than that. Come on. Thank you. Thank you. Listen, I will do my best to be an engaging speaker, but you guys have to be engaged. It's kind of a theme for this morning. I, you'll, you'll see how I'm working it in. I am glad you're here. I was um, recently part of a conference that was done virtually, and I don't know if any of you have been a part of that, but they're really bland because the speaker is speaking and getting crickets back. I mean, there's silence, and so the, they tend to be a little bit more flat than usual. And um, so I was trying to think of, okay, so how... How can I make this more engaging for the people? You know, it's like my gift to you. Uh, how can I make this more interesting? And so I came up with the idea of a laugh track. So I used a laugh track in my breakout session so that they would know when to laugh, right? So I would say something funny, press play. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. But really, all that to say, I'm glad you're here because you are far superior to a laugh track, and you can take that home with you. I'm just saying. Plus, you're lucky because we're talking about John 15 today. I don't know if you've noticed, we've been going through John 12, 13, 14. So today is 15. Uh, and I would love it if you would open it up in your Bible app or the Bible you brought. Those uh, Bibles in front of you on the racks, those aren't just decorations. Those are real Bibles. So you can use those. Um, we're going to actually read from the text today. So I'd love it. I didn't put any of it on the screen um, so yeah, I'd like for you to get there. You can tell how I'm stalling right now for you to <laughs> go ahead and look it up. Um, uh, we'll come to it in a little bit. I do love John 15. It feels central. You know, we're getting to the end of Jesus's life. So you're talking, he's talking about the things that are most important. Um, and John 15 is one of those things. It just, it matters most. I am really kind of surprised that Phil trusted me with it, but... He's not here. So um, let's go ahead and pray, and then we'll jump in. So Father, my heart is that um, we would see you more, more clearly as we look into this, this part of your word, that we would respond um, more willingly. And I ask for your... Um, power to be able to love well as we go into this week. Amen. Okay. These are my parents. Aren't they cute? <laughs> they met in the high school band when they were 15. They both played trombone. <laughs> this year they celebrate 50 years of marriage. 50 years. I know, right? Yeah, I wanted to give you a snapshot of what they think of each other. So uh, about a month ago, um, they led like a family night at their church. And so they each wore a t-shirt that I think summarizes what they think of each other. <laughs> and it pretty much nails it, honestly. <laughs> but 50 years. Okay, so what impresses us about that? You know, I heard that kind of Oh, yeah, right? 50 years. Why, why is that impressive? And this is not a rhetorical question. I want to know. What do you think? Marriage is hard. Marriage is hard. Relationships. Uh, yes, he just got an elbow to the side. <laughs> but relationships are hard. Yes. What's that? It's true. It's true? Is that what you said? 
Yes, it is. <laughs> Any other reason you see why, I don't know, 50 years of marriage is something. The longevity, the resilience, tolerating someone for this long. Someone in the first service said something like, um, the honoring the commitment. You know, when we could, and our culture encourages doing anything we want, pursuing anyone we want, to remain faithful and honor that commitment is a big deal. And coming back to what Larry was saying, marriage is hard. You know, life is hard, right? We, we come upon these moments of pain and difficulty and struggle, and then we have to adjust and grow. And to be able to do that in such a way where we can remain attached to the same person for 50 years, I think there's, I think that's a bit of a miracle. Maybe many miracles. So this morning we're going to be talking about a psychological um, concept called attachment. Sorry, I meant to go twice. Here we go. Attachment. (laughs) Attachment is the emotional bond between two people. It's that sense of connection that we seek out and we try to keep. Uh, It's the sense that I exist in your mind and I matter to you and vice versa. Um, Psychologists would say that Attachment is a primary need for humans, and some even say it's the most powerful longing on the planet. Without attachment, there are deep, deep problems that happen, deep anxiety, and actually long-term problems that can happen. We, as a church, support world orphans, um, and those who work for world orphans and those who support the organization do so because, oh my gosh, we need to get these kids attached, and sooner rather than later. Um, you might know about the Romanian orphanages. I'm a little distracted because I just met someone from the first service who was from a Romanian orphanage. Anyway, um, um, they came out in the late 80s, early 90s um, that the kids there, they were being physically taken care of. They were being fed, they were being diapered, they were being bathed, but they weren't being cooed at, held, paid attention to, and many of them developed very deep struggles, even cognitive impairment, uh, and it made it very, very hard for them to attach later. So, um, With a sense of healthy attachment, though, we develop a sense of security. We learn to trust others. We actually use our attachments uh, to calm ourselves down when we're upset. There's even studies that show when you're in a hospital, when someone's in a hospital, and their attachment person comes to them, they report lower levels of pain. Attachment is a really big deal. I think it's really another word for love. It's a big deal. And there's a lot of variety in how we attach to people, in how well we attach. There's a lot of brokenness that happens in attachment and sets us up for a harder life. But right now, I just want to focus on healthy attachment. And healthy attachment develops over the course of our lives. As people are accessible to us, you know, we know we can get to them when we need them. They're responsive and they're also engaged in our life. So over time, the person becomes a secure base for us. And from that secure base, we can kind of go out, explore the world, make impact, make new relationships where we become the secure base for someone else or many other people. We can do those things because we know we have this safe, supportive, secure place that we can go to. But healthy attachment doesn't mean you're with the person all the time, right? Unless you're newlyweds. 
And we're all grossed out by that. So <laughs> cut it out. <laughs> Attachment survives separation. So like when parents leave their little kids at home, you know, what do they do? They say, see you later. We'll be back at eight. Have fun. And the, um, they're, they're attributing or, um, you know, speaking to this idea that they're attached still, even though they'll be gone. Now, there is the loving part in attachment, but it actually requires two forces or actions or I don't really have a great word for this, but um, this, is, this is for my Star Wars fans in the, in the crowd. So um, there's two forces that need to happen in a healthy attachment. There's the love that's given, but there's also a remaining in the love, okay? So in this example of the, the parents going away and leaving the kids with a babysitter, hopefully coming back, um, it's, <laughs> it's not just about the parents coming back, though that's important. It's also about the kid remaining in the attachment. And what do they do? So they need to start to develop the ability to remember their parents, right? That's, that's why the littler ones are um, less uh, secure in attachment because they don't have the cognitive ability yet to remember certain things. So they're developing the ability to remember their parents, remember their parents positively, remember them, um, you know, the things that they've done for them uh, that show their care when they're present. They remember times when they have gone away and come back so they can anticipate that their parents are going to come back again and just have fun with the babysitter because they're, they're not getting that kind of fun from a mom, I can tell you that much. Okay, so there's two forces. There's the love, but then also the child has to actively, and not just children, we have to, in our relationships, actively draw from our attachment person in order to stay secure. All right, let me give you an example from friendship. So let's say you go through something hard like a performance review, and it was challenging, and they really pushed. And so as soon as you get out of there, you're like, I'm going to text my friend. I almost said call. You see that? I'm a uh, Gen Xer. <laughs> right there, that, that was the give. So I'm going to text my friend because she's my secure base. She loves me. She knows all of me. She's supportive. Just the sound of her voice is going to make me feel better, right? So I text her. And then, you know, minutes go by. There's no, no little dots even. Crickets. So I, what do we do in that case with our friends? We don't say, <clears throat> she never loved me. <laughs> right? It's not like I cut her out of my life, delete her from my phone. I mean, unless I'm from New York City, that's a different culture there. You know, you're dead to me. Okay. Um, No, we remain attached. We look for reasons why she might not be able to get to her phone. Uh, Maybe it's out of battery. Maybe she's in a meeting. Maybe she's in the bathroom. We go through all the possible maybes that keep us attached, even when she's not able to be responsive in that moment. So by thinking those things, we're living in her love. We're living in the attachment. Okay, I'm going to give you an example that happened this weekend with Steve, my husband. Okay. I hesitate to give an example from marriage because I don't want to lose my single people. Here's the thing. Attachment isn't just about marriage. That's just one layer, one possible layer of attachment. So don't poo-poo this talk because I'm talking about marriage. Wait until the end and it turns out to be worthless, okay? Then, then you can do whatever you want. <laughs> but here's the example that happened Friday night. I get home from a thing. Oh, wait, wait, I'm sorry. Before I, I get into it, phew, I almost ruined it. 
you need to know two things. The first is that Steve loves me. He loves me. I am critical. I push him away. And still, he loves me. It's, it, it's been established over decades now. That's a fact. All right? Okay. Another thing you need to know is that he does the dishes in our family. It's part of how he contributes to our family household. He has done it for many years now. He doesn't always do it in my timing, but he is consistent. Okay? So those are two little facts. So Friday night, <laughs> I got home from a thing, and I happened to notice, as I do, that the dishes weren't done. Okay, so then I have this little trick I do in my mind where I can read the future. So this is how it went in my mind. All right, so it's Friday night. Saturday, Steve's going to be gone all day. I know those dishes aren't getting done. Sunday, we really try not to do chores on Sunday. Some of us try a lot harder than others. So I knew they weren't going to get done Sunday either. So Monday is work day. So these dishes that have been around all day Friday are now not going to get done until Monday night. Oh, do you see what a great trick this trick is that I have? Maybe you have it too. So I start to get amped up a bit, right? Luckily, Steve's asleep. That's the grace of God. <laughs> so, uh, but in my mind, I start thinking, Oh, I'm going to have to do those dishes tomorrow. <sighs> so frustrating. He's not even going to ask me. He just expects me to do it. He's such a user. Okay, do you hear my slide into detachment right there? <laughs> it's automatic. <clears throat> so uh, uh, I get a night of sleep, so I calm down, you know, at least a little bit. But we, we wake up Saturday morning. And first thing, I'm sure you would love to wake up to this. I say, good morning. So I guess I'm doing the dishes. <laughs> Aren't I pleasant? <laughs> uh, okay, so this is what Steve says. Why would you do the dishes? It's your day off tomorrow. You know, don't do the dishes. To which I reply, I'm going to have to look at them all day. All right, so then Steve, understandably, replies, look away. <laughs> Leave the room, I'll do the dishes. Okay, so let's shift to uh, the context of John 15. <laughs> so in John 13, Jesus and the disciples have just finished celebrating the um, Passover dinner. And Jesus keeps talking about this, I'm going away. And then he predicts that one of them is going to betray him. And then moments later, he talks about how Peter is going to deny him. Do you hear the broken attachment here? Do you hear the separation? There's layers of it. And Phil alluded, or he talked about the anxiety last week that the disciples were feeling in these moments because you know, Jesus is saying he's going away. Well, where are you going? No, no, we don't know the way. We don't even know where you're going. Tell us the way. So Jesus then turns to his disciples and comforts them. And this is how he comforts them. He says, trust me. And then about eight or nine times, he says, I'm coming back. He says, I'm coming, uh, you know, I'm going away to prepare a place for you, but I'm coming to take you with me. I'm giving you a counselor who will be with you forever. 
I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. I'm coming back. I'm going away, yeah? But trust me, I'm coming back. Do you see, do you hear the secure base that Jesus is committing to, that he is for us? So then John 15 happens. We're going to read the first nine verses together. See, I didn't make you go to this part, you know, in vain. So let's read this together. And then if you get bored, you can just keep reading. That's that's what I do. (laughs) Not saying anything about Phil. (laughs) Okay. I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that's thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. What word do you hear over and over again? Oh my gosh, you're so quiet. You're afraid to be wrong, aren't you? I understand that. Say it again. Yes. Yeah, remain. It's like 11 times within the first 10 verses there. Uh, I thought about actually having you stand up and sit down every time I said the word. You know, did you ever do that in summer camp? Yeah, we could have done it. It would have been less up and down than a Catholic mass. I'll have you know that. We could have done it. Oh, Simon says, I could have done that. So remain in my love, Jesus says. Even though I'll be gone, our attachment is still alive. We're still connected. Remain attached. I'm a secure base for you. I'm going to give you the counselor who's going to be with you forever. Uh, I'm responsive to you. Ask what you wish. It'll be given you. I'm engaged in your life, but you've got to do the part of remaining in this relationship. And he uses this word remain, which can also be translated as these other words, abide, wait, stay, remain stable or fixed, to live in, or dwell in, and they sound a little bit like passive words, don't they? A little bit, because you're staying in the same place, but really they're not. They're action words, because when we stay in the same place, we inhibit leaving. So imagine telling your dog to stay. What do they do? They're like, you know, and you've got the treat or the ball or whatever, and they're like, their whole body's moving, but it's staying in the same place. They're really inhibiting moving. Uh, when I wait in a long line, I have to inhibit myself from losing it because I'm not patient. <laughs> I don't know about you. So they're not, it's not passive remaining. Remain is actually an action word. We have to do something to maintain the connection. We have to live in and rehearse the attachment. And this is, I think, the focus of John 15. It's like the second law of thermodynamics. Did I get all the uh, engineers' attention? Just like that, snapped to. 
right? That unless work is put into a system, it falls into disorder. Uh, and I'm skipping the, the hard words that I barely understand. Uh, but in the realm of relationships, this means we have to work to stay attached or we will become detached. Okay, everybody following? Secure attachment is not passive. Trust isn't something that just happens. It's built and nurtured by both people in the relationship. I think psychology and culture overemphasizes the part that, that force that loves uh, and doesn't pay as much attention to the force that's also needed, which is to live into the love. And living into someone's love or their attachment is a choice that we have to make. So I had a choice yesterday when Steve reaffirmed his love for me and his engagement in our family's life. Would I live in my thoughts that led quickly to detachment or would I live into Steve's love? So let's say we choose. Let's say we choose to remain. Uh, How? I mean... I'm a practical person. I need to know how. How do we remain? So this is another thing I love about John 15 is that it just walks us right through it. But it's a little bit like, um, has anybody here seen the BBC version of Pride and Prejudice? You know, the five-hour version, which is really the only version worth watching. I'm just saying. Sorry, Kira Knightley. Uh, But um, there's this scene where Elizabeth Bennett is reading the letter from her uncle about what are they going to do about her sister that's eloped with Mr. Wickham, and actually they haven't eloped. Anyway, it's a big scandal. So she's reading it, but she can hardly wait to you know, know what is going to happen, so she keeps asking her dad, what, what's happening? And he says, read on, read on, Lizzie. So if you're ever wondering what to do with the Bibles and you have questions, read on. Okay, so here we go. So we're going to start again at 9. So... As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now, remain in my love. How? Jesus, read on. If you obey my commands, you remain in my love, as I have obeyed my Father's commands and remain in his love. Okay, so I obey your commands. All right, well, which, which one? Read on, Veronica. So come down to verse 12. My command is this, love. Love each other as I have loved you. Okay, love. Well, I... What do you mean, love? Read on. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Okay, self-sacrificial love. And then this doesn't have anything to do with anything, but I do think verse 14 is the favorite verse of all firstborns everywhere. You are my friends if you do what I command. (laughs) Just saying. Okay, and if you have any, any doubt as to what the point is that Jesus is making, he comes down to verse 17. This is my command, love each other. How do we remain? We love, and we love each other, okay? So my parents have worked uh, our whole family system life um, to, help, uh, to help keep the siblings loving each other. It's a big deal to them. My dad had aunts and uncles who didn't talk to each other for decades, and he just thought that was stupid. So he really invests in helping us love each other as much as he can. I mean, you don't have all that control, but um, they talk about it. We talk about it. So we love by laying down our lives. And I, I 
the, the way I understand it, I don't think it's just laying our physical life down, right? Because it'd be one and done, and that's it. I think what God is saying here is that we give up those things that feel like we have to stay attached to, otherwise we, it, it, they feel like our life. Maybe it's our image or um, control. Maybe it's our identity as we see ourselves. Could be comfort, Right? So loving others keeps us attached to Jesus and keeping us, uh, sorry, I just lost my train of thought. Uh, It keeps us attached to uh, his love for us, which then empowers us to love others. All right, let's bring this home. I want you to bring to mind someone you have an attachment with but maybe there's some pain in that attachment. Maybe it's broken and it needs some attention. So bring them to mind. All right, close your eyes. Bring that person a little bit closer. And if you were to love them sacrificially, if you were to lay down your life for them, given all the circumstances of the situation, what would that look like? And if you had anything that had anything to do with them, that's not the right answer. This is all about you. It it might look like giving up your desire to be right. In fact, your certainty that you are right and actually just listening and working hard to understand their perspective. If you're not someone to typically apologize, it might be eating crow and apologizing. Forgiving someone is pure sacrifice. More practically speaking, it might be setting down the phone, turning off the TV, putting down the book to pay attention to someone. For some personalities, this is not me, so I have to kind of imagine, but some personalities... um, kind of, they don't maybe assert themselves because it's just better to keep the peace so they kind of keep their thoughts to themselves. Um, And for them, it might be that laying down their life is actually to say, no, I don't like this, or I want it this way. I think inhibiting our reaction to cut somebody off when relationship is hard And instead waiting for them with open arms and a forgiving heart just in case they turn towards you again. Uh, I think that's laying down our lives. And it's painful and it's hard. It's vulnerable. It is not fair. But it is the way. Jesus is the way. And the only reason I can stand here and tell you I think we need to do this is because Jesus did it. Philippians 2 talks about how he did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. If equality with God isn't something to be grasped, why am I hanging on to my very fallible reason or my very unimportant opinions? Come on, that's just getting in the way of what actually matters. Love is what matters. 
And quite frankly, loving this way is not in my nature. When I have friends, and really this has happened a few uh, times this past two weeks, they've told me about maybe a difficult situation in a friendship, and then they talk about how they've been working to remain attached, and I'm always like, why? <laughs> oh, that's so hard. It's disorienting to me. And I, I, I do, I don't know about you, but I like to know, if I'm going to give up my life, I got I to gotta have some pretty good reasons. I trust you, Jesus, but come on. So I'm going to give you a few thoughts about this, why we might be willing to give up our life for those around us. First, on a more selfish note, because that's my realm, um, we actually experience more love when we give sacrificially. You would think it would be the opposite, that the person who receives this wonderful gift just is overflowing with love, which they might be, but it's actually the person who is giving that experiences greater, stronger love. So that's something. I think we also experience a taste of the sacrifice that Jesus gave, which is one of the ideas underlying Lent, right? The season that we're in as a church. We share in Jesus' suffering just a little, and in that place we can be grateful uh, to Jesus for the things that he has done. Instead of us becoming bitter and entitled and take, take, taking from Jesus and wanting, you know, wondering why he's not giving us more, we start to see the things he's done for us. Let me bring it back to my lame example of the dishes. So, loving, uh, laying down my life in that case, starts with me actually letting go of my slide into detachment, right? My thoughts and my certainty that Steve just expects me to do, you know, the menial jobs or whatever to work for him and instead believe that he, he loves me, that he does intend to do what he said he would do. Okay, so I have to let go of that and do this. Once I'm over here, then I can kind of zoom back and look at some things. Let me tell you some more to the story. So that thing I came back from on Friday, I was hanging out with some friends. On a Friday night, Steve stayed at home with the kids. He sacrificed for me. That thing that he was going to be away at on Saturday all day, he took the kids on an all-day outing, and I got alone time, (laughs) which in my season is more precious than gold. And he did that for me, which I couldn't see when I was over here, sure that he was using me, right? I had to be over here. And let's just also admit the fact that he does dishes, Oh my goodness, when I said this in the, I was talking about this story in the first service, Trevor, my son, was over there and he told me afterward that he saw a woman look at her husband (laughs) and and give him a mean look. I was like, okay, that's funny. (laughs) So when we sacrifice and give our lives to others, we recognize the gifts that have been given to us. It just makes it easier. It makes it easier to stay attached. And finally, when we give in this way, we absolutely have to rely on God. John, in another book he wrote, wrote, and so we know and rely on the love God has for us. I don't love like this often, but when I do, I can look back in those seasons and the prayers I pray then are that, oh my God, sustain me during this time. 
giving of myself, loving someone keeps me attached to him because I need him. It keeps me loving others, which keeps me attached to him, which is the only thing that matters. And I was really trying hard to come up with a metaphor to to explain this um, life-giving, sustainable system where remaining attached gave life. So more life was created. You know, I'm staying in God's love and that's, it's fueling me, it's powering me and I'm receiving the love which I pass on to others which then they can pass on to others which keeps us all stayed in God's love. And so I started thinking like maybe a spiral, you know, the father's love for the son and then the son stays attached to the father by, um, uh, by loving us and then we stay in right? But it wasn't as energetic as I wanted. I want something ever expanding, ever increasing. <clears throat> so then I was like, um, energy, maybe, maybe electronics. My son loves electronics. So maybe I could have him whip something up that, you know, we can conjure up that, that shows this like connectivity and this light bulb would light up. And, but it didn't have life that I was looking for and I couldn't really figure it out. My brain doesn't think that way. So uh, then I was like, well, life, maybe pregnancy? And then I was like, mm, ever expanding and pregnancy should never be used in the same sentence. So no, I was like, all right, God, you're going to have to come up with something for me because I can't think, I can't think of anything. So I was like, oh, let me just at least go back to John 15. <laughs> Some of you know where I'm going with this. And let's see if anything pops out to me. I am the true vine. A vine. Duh, Veronica. <laughs> Can you not just picture the Trinity going up there like... <laughs> She's going to love this one. (laughs) A vine. Jesus is the vine and he pumps love into us. And when we stay attached to him, we love others and create, there's more branches and fruit created from that, which keeps us attached to this, which gets thicker as we go, which allows us to experience more love and give more life and love. It's this ever increasing, ever expanding life through love. So this is my prayer, that your love would abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best, that you may be uh, pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through his son to the praise and glory of God. Amen.